Ladies and gentlemen, check your watches, check your smartphones. What is the time? Yeah, what is the time? It's time for the Sports Report. Here's your host, Tarek Ansari. Welcome one, welcome all. It is the Sports Report. I am Tarek Ansari. Thanks so much for joining us here. As, boy, we've got some uh, awesome stuff to talk about today. I must admit, I've neglected the NBA a little more than I have, and today we're making up for that. We're doing a big NBA show today talking about the race to the postseason, our final, I'd say, yeah, last quarter of the season, about 25 games left for each team. It's not exactly 25, but around that. And we're going to dive in and look and see what the playoff picture looks like and uh, the bottom feeders, the non-bottom feeders. We're going to go over all that. Who I think is going to get that 8 seed, that 7 seed in each conference, even if they're under 500. I'm looking at you, Orlando Magic. We're also going to take a look at our mailbag. We've got a lot of awesome questions today. And, uh, well, spring training is starting up. Baseball is just around the corner, unless you live in Arizona or Florida, which means baseball is now here. So sit back, relax. Unless you're in a car, then please drive safely and keep your eyes on the road. Use your blinkers and merge correctly. I swear to God, I hate drivers that cut off people without using their blinkers. If you're going to be rude, you might as well use your lights. I don't cut off someone and walk in front of them without saying sorry. That's It's a dick move already. So just drive carefully. But that, this is not about driving. This is about sports. Let's get right into it. Boom. The NBA. Boy, it's been an interesting year. I think when uh when I came out with some predictions this year on who I thought was going to be the top eight in the NBA in each conference, of course, I would not have guessed certain things like the Brooklyn Nets being as low as they are. The Brooklyn Nets are twenty five and twenty nine, are in a seven spot. I thought they would be somewhere in the middle. We're talking Eastern Conference, obviously. I thought they'd be somewhere in the middle, like where the Heat and the Seventy Sixers are right now at thirty five and twenty and thirty five and twenty one, but. Kyrie Irving's been out. He's out right now. He's going to be out for another three or four weeks. He's been hurt. And really, when he was playing, he wasn't that good. He wasn't bad, but he wasn't, you know, the Kyrie Irving we know. I did not expect Toronto to come out guns a-blazing. And let's be fair, they came out and were playing really good basketball, but they really turned it on in January. Like, they really turned it on. They had that, I think it was 16 or 17 game winning streak. I mean, there's they are serious. They're not kidding around. They're still 9-1 in the last 10 games as of February 22nd. I'm telling you what, Nick Nurse, he's a, he's a coach right there. Maybe your coach of the year, Nick Nurse. Take your team to the NBA Finals, lose a huge, huge piece like Leonard, and your team is, if it isn't as good, it is this close to being just as good as it was last year. They're in the same spot. They're the two seed in the Eastern Conference, and they are a championship contender just like last year. Now, nobody thought that would happen. Outside of very optimistic fans up north, nobody thought that would happen. They thought Kawhi left. You know what? They had their championship. They had the ring. They're going to make the playoffs, but they're going to be a six, a seven. They're not going to be back to where they were before. But guess what? They are there. I'm going to talk about the number one seed, the Milwaukee Bucks. They are something else. They are so fun to watch. The Bucks are honestly 
one of the best things that's happened to the NBA. There's nothing I love more than seeing the best team in basketball not be a team from L.A., a team from Miami, a team from New York, from one of these huge media markets that gets so much coverage, especially L.A., especially L.A., where both, team, where both teams are very, very good. Two top ten teams in the NBA. Milwaukee Bucks, though, they I hate hearing these arguments. The Lakers are the best. The Lakers are the absolute best. LeBron, it's the, just cut it out. The Milwaukee Bucks are the best team in the NBA. You can't find a deeper team around. Giannis is amazing. Eric Bledsoe has come out, and he's been amazing. And really, this team, they're, they're just top to bottom. So fun to watch. I mean, quite literally, you can pick your po- poison. Being a Kings fan, watching some of the Bucks games, it's hard to get optimism when your team is playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Because there's just, there's just so much. There's so many weapons. The game against the Kings, they were missing Giannis. But guess what? It didn't matter. Why, you ask? Well, of course, because they had guys like Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez. And how about that bench? Kyle Korver, Robin Lopez, Wesley Matthews. These are all contributors. George, hey, George Hill. These are all backups. Contributors off the bench. It's a deep, deep team. I would not be shocked if we're sitting here in the middle of June and they are hoisting a trophy. A trophy. Trophy. I almost said trophy. What in the world is wrong with me? A trophy. Would not be shocked because the Bucks are a deep, deep team. They are the number one seed right now. They have the number one seed by six and a half games on Toronto. It will stay that way. They're not giving it up even if they drop a game here or there. They will, I think, get to 60 wins. If there's, They have an outside chance of getting to 70. I don't see that. That would mean down the stretch to get to 70. They would have to go 23 and 4 over their next 27 games. Now, they've gone 47 and 8 up to this point, but 23 and 4 down the stretch that's tough. But maybe we we could see a Milwaukee Bucks 75 win team and they look ferocious. When you look at the rest of the Eastern Conference, the Boston Celtics have had a great year, 39 wins in in third place as of February 22nd. The 76ers and the Heat are both having great years, but the thing both the 76ers and the Heat have in common is their home records are outstanding, just absolutely outstanding, but their road records just suck. The Miami Heat at home are 22-3. and For a while, they were undefeated at home at American Airlines Arena. They look, they were just amazing. On the road, they're 13 and 17. Not great. Not ideal. What's even worse? The Philadelphia 76ers. When you go to the Wells Fargo Arena, you might as well give up the game because they are 26 and 2. 26 and 2. Give up. That winning percentage is ridiculous at home. But if you have the 76ers at your house, not in Philly. The Sixers are 9 and 19. 9 and 19. Those are Atlanta Hawks numbers bad. New York Knicks numbers bad. 
that will cost these teams in the playoffs. The Indiana Pacers have been good. They got Oladipo back. He's been good. They have the sixth seed now, and I think they stay there because this, there's a huge drop-off when you get to the, the seventh seed. A huge drop-off. Between the Indiana Pacers at number six and the Brooklyn Nets at number seven in the Eastern Conference, there is a seven-game difference. Indiana is 33-23. and 23. Brooklyn is 25-29. and 29. And they just lost Kyrie Irving for a few weeks. They're not getting KD back until next year. And they're going to probably, the sad thing is, they're probably going to make the playoffs. Because Orlando is at number 8 at 24 and 32. Two games behind Brooklyn. And nine games behind Indiana. And then after Orlando, the only teams that come maybe close is, I guess you could say three games behind Orlando is the Washington Wizards at 20 and 34. Yikes. Charlotte at 19 and 36 and Chicago at 19 and 37. They're both five games back of Orlando. I mean, that's it's not happening. I don't think at least. I mean, that's can you imagine a first round playoff series between Milwaukee and Orlando or Milwaukee and Washington? If that's not a sweep, I'm worried about the Bucks. <laughs> Just shows you how top heavy the Eastern Conference is. Western Conference a little similar. Coming in this year, I really thought the Clippers would be number one. I thought the Lakers would be number two. And well, you can switch that around. I thought Denver would be playing up there too. And, you know, it's it's close. The Lakers right now are the clear number one in the Western Conference. I don't want to hear about how they're the best team in the NBA. They're two to the Bucks, And unless they can beat them in the finals this year, I won't be convinced otherwise. Lakers are the clear number one. They've played fantastic basketball all year. They they have a deep team. I thought their weakness would be the depth on their bench. It's been good. They've got solid contributors across the board. Dwight Howard ended up being a very good signing. Very good signing. Alex Caruso, even though he is overcovered by ESPN, has been fantastic for that team. Rondo's been good. It's been a very good team. Very good team. I'm loving what I've seen from them. The Denver Nuggets, as usual, when you have Nikola Jokic, you're going to get some stuff done. And that's what they've done. They have not let up this year. They were this close to being the number one seed last year in the Western Conference. And they're five games back of the Lakers. I don't think they're going to get up to number one, but they're going to probably stick around too. Can Denver avenge that playoff exit, that early playoff exit last year to Portland? We'll see. Denver has the talent. And I really was a big believer before this year on the LA Clippers. I rode that train. I thought Paul George and Kawhi Leonard were going to be number one in the entire NBA. They were going to be better than everyone, including the Bucks. So far, they have not been the best. They have been great. They have been a contender, but they have not been the frontrunner. Like, 37 and 18, but as of the taping of this which is right before a noon game, I believe they have against the Sacramento Kings today, at the Staples Center. At the Staples Center, man, not a great pronunciation day. Yikes! The Clippers have lost two in a row, and they've they've had some struggles. They've had Paul George out for some injuries. Patrick Beverly, he's been hurt. Leonard's been hurt. If they can get them all healthy for a few weeks in a row, the Clippers can do some serious damage. They're already looking good though. 
the Nuggets, Clippers, Jazz, and Rockets are all kind of tied really close for those two to five spots, which is key because it's going to go a long way to determining who you play. I think a lot of teams would rather play, despite Luka being a great player, a lot of teams would rather be playing the the Dallas Mavericks rather than the Houston Rockets. But you've also got the Utah Jazz. They've had a great year. Rudy Gobert is just, it's amazing to see where he was early on in his career and where he is now. It's incredible. He is doing some great stuff. Donovan Mitchell is fantastic. That's a great team. Very balanced team as well. The Houston Rockets have been, as we expected, quite good. Russell Westbrook and James Harden have ended up being a good tandem. I hesitate to say great. Greatness will be determined in the playoffs where I don't believe they're going to go terribly far, especially if they're facing teams like the Jazz or the Clippers. I love the next three because the next three are shockers, to me at least. I honestly, before this year, thought the next three would look like something along the lines of, for six, seven, and eight in the Western Conference, Trailblazers, Spurs, Kings. That's not the case right now. Number six is owned by the Oklahoma City Thunder. And I got to be honest, when they traded Russell Westbrook to the Rockets for a package, that included... Chris Paul. I thought Thunder were, they were done. They were going to go and be less than mediocre. As it turns out, they have been fantastic. Shea Gillius Alexander has been amazing. Remember, he was great in LA last year with the Clippers. He and Chris Paul have done great things on that team. Steven Adams has been great. Gallinari has been amazing. That Thunder team has been shockingly good. They're 34 and 22. I wasn't sure they were going to break 500 this year. But they have been amazing. A very, very well-balanced team. And they haven't let up. They're 7 and 3 their last 10 games. They are a good team. Are they a contender? I think they fall a little bit a little bit below that line. But they are going to the playoffs for sure and they're looking they're a fun team to watch. I mean, and that is a good story. Because I didn't think a lot of people really thought they could come back and be that good. But Chris Paul, he will do that for you. Chris Paul, he may be a little older than he was when he was with New Orleans, early years in L.A. But hey, that is a good team right there. Number seven is a the Dallas Mavericks right now, who I thought, I think they're a year ahead of schedule. Personally, I thought Luka's development would really shine next year with players around him like Chris Stapps Porzingis. But they, I mean, that Mavericks team... Rick, Har- Rick Carlisle's done an amazing job in Dallas. And that Mavs team at 34 and 22, they're, they're fantastic. They're a great team. They're fun to watch. They're actually record wise better on the road than they are at home. 15 and 14 at home. They're 19 and 8 on the road. The Luka show is on tour. I mean, it's, it's fun. Luka, Don- Luka Doncic is so fun to watch. Even as a Kings fan who is saddened to see him do so well in a city other than Sacramento. It is so fun to watch Luka. He's a great player, and it's no shocker Dallas is number seven. Now at number eight, we get a bit of a drop-off. Dallas is six games ahead of the eight-seed Memphis Grizzlies. Now the Grizzlies are 28-28. and 28. They have struggled as of late, and though they have a young, good core with Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant, 
there is still that youth factor that kind of kicks in there where, you know what, they're a little ahead of schedule. People did not expect Memphis to be this good. If you had told me at the beginning of the season that Memphis was at number 15, I would have said, that sounds about right. If you told me they would be at number 8 at this point in the season, I would have said, what, are you kidding me? Go eat your Wheaties. You're out of control. That's where they are, though. Look at the teams below them. Portland. I thought Portland was going to come back and have a good year. They're 25-32. and 32. They still have a shot. They're three and a half games back. The San Antonio Spurs. Here's a sentence you've never heard before. Greg Popovich coaches non-playoff teams. I've never heard that, that sentence before. He always gets the Spurs to the playoffs. Will this happen this year? I mean, he's got four, he's four games back. He's got to make it up. Spurs are 24 and 31. Just behind them, the New Orleans Pelicans at 24 and 32. They've got Zion Williamson, and they've been doing better as of late. They're 7 and 3 their last 10 games. But that's that's a four-game hole behind Memphis. And the last team that I see having a chance, maybe at that eighth seed, the Sacramento Kings, and I'm pushing all bias aside, the Kings were terrible. Absolutely terrible up until I'd say maybe late January. They made a rotational change. They put Bogdan Bogdanovich into the starting lineup for Buddy Heald, who is their bona fide six man now. And they've been a lot better. The Sacramento Kings, however, need to start playing like the team we all expected them to, to be if they want any shot, because they are deep in the hole. Deep. Five and a half games back with 26 to play. 26 or 27 to play. So when I look at the Western Conference and I look at that that race between Memphis, Portland, San Antonio, New Orleans, and Sacramento, who do I see coming out on top? Here's your answer. It may shock you. San Antonio. San Antonio is not the better team. You could argue out of all these teams, they have the least talent and they have the least reason to even be there. But they're the Spurs. They always find a way. They still have Aldridge. They still have DeRozan. I just get the feeling that somehow, some way, we're going to be sitting here in the middle of April at a Spurs Lakers playoff series. I don't know how it's going to happen, but Greg Popovich will find some stupid way. It's not stupid, but just for other teams, it's stupid to get his team in. I just don't think Memphis is going to hold on to that spot. Even though they have the the slightest lead right now, they're losing games they need to win against teams that are below them, and that's going to cost them in a few months. That's what I think. Eastern Conference, I think Orlando and Brooklyn, even though they are utterly, I mean, there's a reason why they're under 500. The, the Eastern Conference is a situation where, by default, those two teams are going to be seven and eight seeds because the teams under them, the Wizards, the Hornets, the Bulls, are any of them going to go on a run? No. It's not going to happen. If John Wall was back with the Wizards and not hurt, that's a different story. But really, they're not, nobody's going to catch the Brooklyn Nets and the Orlando Magic. Can't wait for that first round playoff series. Get your brooms out, kids. Anyway, time to get us to our mailbag. Time to get to our mailbag. We thank you all so much for these questions. As let's start out with a question from Ethan. Thank you, Ethan, for the question. 
This one is for Major League Baseball, to be the exact, the Oakland A's. Why do people and journalists always count out the Oakland Athletics? I'm getting sick and tired of it. Well, Ethan, it's what happens with small market teams, especially ones that are in cities that are close to other big market teams. So, for instance, the San Francisco Giants, each year, as a big market team, at least in Major League Baseball, they get a lot of attention. This year's a little bit different because the Giants are expected to be about as good as a used diaper. Now, that could be, we could be surprised, but we won't. I think what pisses a lot of A's fans off this year is with these Ast- with this Astros scandal, the Yankees are being he- held as the champions of the AL. There's no way anybody's going to catch them. They're the best team. They are going to get revenge against the Astros. But the fact is, after that, a lot of, not a lot of coverage on who is better in the AL. It's really Yankees, Dodgers, and, you know, then then you kind of get a few teams like the Braves, you know, like, oh, they're going to be pretty good. The Twins have a lot of power. The Oakland Athletics, remember the last two seasons where they've won 97 games, they have been just hit by injury after injury after injury and haven't been able to show their full potential. If they can this year, and they've got a lot of their really good prospects up, I mean, Jesus Lazardo, A.J. Puck, Sean Manaya, who isn't a prospect anymore, obviously. But if all three of them can blossom and be at least 80% of the potential they are, combined, that will be an almost unstoppable force. I mean, A.J. Puck is drawing comparisons to Randy Johnson for a reason. The dude is a wild thrower. And that lineup and that defense is amazing. That is arguably the best infield in all of baseball. Arguably. The Yankees will have something to say about that. So will the Dodgers. But you've got Chapman on third base. You've got at shortstop Marcus Simeon. First base, Matt Olson catching this one great prospect, Sean Murphy. Second base is a platoon. But that is an infield. Very few errors, I'm telling you that. Very few errors come out of that infield. And uh, in October, I think that team is going to be doing pretty well. The Houston Astros, despite their terrible, terrible tendencies the last couple of years, are still the favorite to win that division. But don't be shocked if the Oakland A's come out on top. People just count out the A's because they're a small market team. And you know what? They're not the big story. The big story is the Yankees. The comeback story of the Yankees defeating the Cheaters. What gets lost in the folds there is the A's. Hopefully... For you, Ethan, journalists will not ignore the A's. Journalists will not ignore the A's in October. Hopefully November, too. We have another one from Casey. Casey asks, how do you balance the proposed 17-game regular season in the new CBA? Who gets the extra home game, or does the NFL make teams play a game overseas? That's a very interesting idea. I got to say, I was thinking about this. Usually, it's eight home games, eight away games. With the 17th game, it's unique because now it's going to be a little out of balance. And assuming the CBA gets approved, which it sounds like it will, what is the 17th game going to look like? That's a very good question. The international idea, I think, is actually very compelling. And it's something that I think the NFL should consider. 
bringing the NFL overseas is a very good thing. We've seen it been it's been done in England. It's going to be done in China this year with the 49ers and the Rams. It's been done in Mexico. It'll be it'll continue to happen in Mexico. In the past, they've had the games in like Greece and Germany. And I think that's a good idea. I think each team should play one game overseas and then have each team get a bye week after that. Kind of like how you get a lot of these English Premier League teams playing games overseas. Usually they're friendlies, but they're overseas. So instead of it just being England and Mexico and China, expand. Do more. Play a game in Japan. Heck, play a game in South Korea. You know what? Go play a game in Brazil. Or maybe my grand my grandparents' country, Lebanon. <laughs> the Lebanese are great people, I'll tell you that. Play a game in Lebanon. Just move the game forward. And that way it settles the idea of away and home. Casey, that's a good idea you came up with there. Because no, neither team has home field advantage there, even if it's a designated home game for a certain team. I think that's a good idea. That's how I think you solve it then. I'll go with that, because otherwise you unbalance the number of home games and away games. So yeah, let's make an international game mandatory once a year. And, and you know, yeah, it's a lot of travel, true, but neither team has an advantage. And you give these players an opportunity to go these to these new countries. And as long as it's safe to go there, it's a great opportunity to move the game forward and expose expose it to new crowds. I think it's a great plan. I think that's what they should do. It's not what they're going to do because the NFL is not about good ideas sometimes. We have another question from Connor. Connor, of course, being from the Three Bros podcast, which you can also find on all streaming services. He's a good friend of mine from high school, but he has a question. Does J.J. Redick and his playoff streak end here with the New Orleans Pelicans? If you, In case you don't know, the New Orleans Pelicans are quite a bit back in the playoff race. Five games back, I believe, at this point. J.J. Redick, in each of his seasons in the NBA, which is now 13, has made the postseason. Uh, but... Unfortunately, this year is not looking like it's going to be number 14. And here's why. The Pelicans are a young team with a lot of intrigue, but that youth is costing them in some of these games. They're making some stupid mistakes down the stretch. Some of it's on Redick defensively, but a lot of it is just on the inexperience on a lot of players. So, can they win? Can they get that eighth seed? Sure, it's possible. It's not impossible. I just don't see it happening compared to the likes of Portland or Memphis or even I'd even take Sacramento over, over New Orleans at this point. I think Sacramento right now is a better team than New Orleans. Records aside, which they're very similar. So yeah, J.J. Redick is going to be sitting on the couch for the first time during the postseason, which was not a very happy thought for him, but it's okay. He'll just shoot a three. We have our last question here from Nick. He wants to know, how does the XFL fantasy football stance boost its ratings? So, what the XFL has done, and I think this is very interesting, is they have embraced the betting lines. Now, the NFL's kind of gotten into this a little bit. They've kind of dipped their toes in the water. But, I mean, the XFL, you watch a game. 
They've got the betting lines on the screen. You've got the commentators talking about, well, if they go for three here, they hit the under. But if they if they go for two here, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, wow. They're, it, it, what's interesting is it's really, it's, it's not only presenting an opportunity for betters, but it's kind of like holding the betters' hands and telling them, here, come along, come join us here. And that, because the XFL knows it's a new league and it needs whatever it can take to get started, to get going. And to boost ratings, of course, it's going to embrace this whole betting stance because it wants these ratings. And if betters find it easy to use or easy to play and fun to play with XFL, then that's going to boost its ratings. The NFL, for the longest time, didn't wasn't big on betting. It's getting into it now. The XFL wants to build that base, wants to get it. So that way, their reputation is solid and they can stay around for a while. It's a good question, Nick. But I think that's how they're going to do it. So there you go. So our last thing to mention here, and this is kind of just a little note for the future. We're going to have our full Major League Baseball preview within the coming weeks, and we'll present some uh, some stories and some some predictions, some standings and all that. But Major League Baseball is coming. And with Cactus League, Grapefruit League, it's an exciting time. And I've got to say, there's a part of me that is a little saddened that these games are only in Arizona or only in Florida. And I want to propose something as we finish off the show soon for all 30 Major League Baseball teams. In the middle of March or towards the end of March, right before the regular season starts, all these teams play these exhibition games against their AAA counterpart or a nearby rival, like for example, in this area of Sacramento, the River Cats, the AAA affiliate of the Giants play the Giants, the SF Giants play the Oakland A's because they're right across the bridge. They play a couple games with each other. That's that. I would suggest the the week before that, where right now teams are playing still in Arizona or in Florida, that these Major League Baseball teams play these spring training games, maybe one or two, in certain cities that don't have Major League Baseball but are still good market cities. Teams that, like, for example, the Milwaukee Brewers could play a game in Green Bay or the Seattle Mariners could play a game in Portland. I'm trying to look for another one here. Uh, let's say the, the Rockies play a game in Colorado Springs. The New York Yankees play a game in Buffalo. The Toronto Blue Jays, they've done this before. They should do it again. Maybe they play a game in Montreal. That's it's all stuff I think they should do. And the reason why, it accomplishes two things. First of all, as you get into the summer months of, you know, of in Florida, in Phoenix, obviously it's still March, but it's getting warmer than it was in February. And I think a lot of these teams are going to be kind of like a bit tired of being in Phoenix, in, in Florida. They may want to change the scenery. And this change of scenery could be 
going to another city and going to enthusiastic crowds. They're going to make more money. That's the second part of this. They're going to make more money if they go to these mid-market, bigger cities. Salt Lake City, really good market for sports. Doesn't have a Major League Baseball team, has a AAA team, but they'd love to see the Rockies there, I'll tell you that. Sacramento, really good sports market, especially for basketball. The Giants are playing there. That's awesome. Other cities could take notice. Portland, they got to play more Major League Baseball games in Portland. They want to talk about expanding there. Good. Play play a Mariners game there. See what happens. See how many fans show up. That's my two cents on that. But Major League Baseball, we're going to get into more of that in the coming weeks. But for now, that is all we have to say about that. As Forrest Gump once said, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Sports Report. We'll catch up with you next week on more MLB, more more NBA, and more of whatever you want to hear because we got a mailbag just for you. Once again, I'm Tarkin. Sorry, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the Sports Report, and we'll see you later. Thank you.